We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you a new friend. Her name is Lyndall Farley, and she is calling in from Holland, but she is a native Australian, and she works specifically with sabbaticals and people helping people get settled back and forth. But it sounds like you were doing lots of other things in between because of the situation we're now. So I would love, instead of my telling your story, can you give our folks a little bit of a background on sort of how you fell into this space and what kind of work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks. It's great to be part of the the show. Yeah, so my love for sabbaticals really started about 20 years ago when I took myself on my first, then I was calling it a gap year. But then, you know, I always kind of pushed myself really hard in studies and career and getting promotions and doing all the, you know, the big things. And then I always found myself needing to really step away and take a decent break, you know, like a, a really long break to sort of recharge my energy, but also figure out what was next. And it kind of wasn't actually until sabbatical number eight that I came up with the word sabbatical or, or I found the word sabbatical for, to describe this thing that I kept on doing, which was needing to really step away and take a long break. And then it was sort of, I've now taken 10 sabbaticals and I realized over my career as a, as a consultant and then also training as a coach that people really needed guiding here. There was really a, a gap here in terms of helping people really understand that they needed to take a break and the importance of recharge and rest for productivity, but also for just living a great life. But then also to really navigate that journey particularly when people were coming home and really reintegrating back into their life, but also coming to terms with the big things that would come up on sabbatical, the big realisations that would come up on sabbatical, and then deciding how to then move forward in life. So that's really what I help people do now. And then I also help companies set up better well-being programs that really support people to properly recharge and take, you know, really good break so that they're productive at work. I love that. And I think, you know, you're just using the word, I mean, sabbatical is is a great idea. It's a lot of people think of that as something that academics do, for example. But I think one thing that often gets discounted or doesn't get enough attention is the integration piece. And I think that that's something that we talk a lot about on this show and in conversations with other fellow nomads is the integration piece is really, really challenging sometimes. I mean, it's, it's exciting to plan something that, you know, that's going to be your, your break and your time. And then when you're in it, you're caught up in it and you're living in the moment. And then you come back. How do you integrate these pieces? And how do you fit into your old world? Or does that change? What are yeah. some of the things that, that you've really have, that you focus on when you're working with your clients around that integration piece? Because I think that can yeah. be a really challenging. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I really focus on is preparing them for that challenge. I think that in the first instant, 
if you're coming back from a, a, an extended break from work for, for whatever reason, if you want to call it a sabbatical or something else, that there's a, a lack of awareness that there's going to be an issue in the first place. You sort of think, oh, I'm just going to go back to what I know. But fundamentally, everything has changed. And so, uh, and that's inside the person that's gone on sabbatical, but also perhaps in the environment that they're returning to. And it, there's, I guess, a dissonance that happens. And a lot of people talk about reverse culture shock. So when you actually go back to your native country, but you don't feel like you belong there anymore because you have fundamentally sort of changed as a person. That's really talking about it from that external kind of cultural environment. So fitting into, you know, the, the ways of the culture, the people around you. But then I also find that there's this piece of dissonance around you internally because what you're essentially, you've, you've usually on a sabbatical gone through a bit of a transformation in yourself and then suddenly you have to return back to your old life and it doesn't fit anymore. It mm -hmm. feels like you're trying to pull on a jacket that's sort of too small and doesn't stretch in the right ways. And so it's that piece as well where you have to kind of re-identify with your new normal, right? So, you know, the way I help people through that is to first of all just recognise the changes that have occurred but then also just understand what are the possibilities for how this is going to feel like a jarring experience. And I think half of the battle is being prepared for that, you know. I've often actually had people say, one of the, the really common but almost surprising things that people have said to me is when they're returning to work after a sabbatical and they've spent a lot of their sabbatical sort of in nature or outside or whatever, and then they sort of get to work on the first day and they're like, you know, I just, I felt like it was so claustrophobic, like I, I, need, I couldn't breathe, like I needed fresh air. I had to go out every couple of hours just to to go and hug a tree like I just couldn't stand being inside for such a long amount of time so it's those little things that people don't expect that really trip them up often <laughs> absolutely and I think to that point everything you say I'm, I'm thinking about where we're at right now where we're in this incredible global shift where people are sort of taking an unintended and maybe it doesn't feel like a sabbatical, but they're certainly going through a transformational journey of yeah. their own that is different from their normal, what normal feels. And, yeah. and how do we transition? We can use a lot of these tools when we transition. I shouldn't mm -hmm. say, I'm not going to say back into the real world because it won't be the same. But when we transition mm -hmm. into the new normal as we are going forward, and so I think a lot of the tools that you're teaching are really critical for, you know, sort of preparing our mindset for that change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing for us to be thinking about right now and how we maybe as experienced nomads can support our peers who maybe are not as comfortable with that journey by teaching yeah. them some of what we've learned in that process and sort of not being afraid yeah. of the integration. You know? Yeah, and it's really, it's a really good point around the fact that everybody or a lot of people have been on what I've been calling an unexpected sabbatical, right? 
It wasn't by our own doing. It wasn't under our control. But at the same time, it has a lot of the element of, if you allow it to, the transformation that can occur on sabbatical. And so I think the ability to kind of integrate after this specific COVID-19 experience is actually all about the work that somebody actually does in introspection, in reflection, while they've been on this break, right? If they've sort of just gone into a Netflix spiral and just sort of sat on the couch and sort of just twiddled their thumbs waiting for it to all be over, then there's not much development that might have occurred. And so it will be just sort of going back to the hamster wheel or or whatever life looked like before. But those people who take it as an opportunity and really sit back and go, oh, I have the time now to really think about where am I at in life? Where am I at in my career? Am I happy? Have I actually been making these decisions in my life intentionally or has life just been sort of running me, you know? And so that's the kind of work that I've been doing with people in this time. And then the power of what happens then is there is a quite a gap between the decisions that they've made for themselves. So, oh, actually, I wasn't really that happy with where my life was going. And that realisation then is a catalyst for change, right? But as soon as we sort of come out of lockdown, it doesn't mean that the mechanics of our life have actually changed. And so we then have to put a plan in place to move from sort of where you are now to actually where you want to be. And that's, you know, that's kind of a life design process, right? But I think there's going to be kind of two kind of people that come out of this experience, the people that have really taken the time to pause and reflect, and then the people who've sort of just let it all wash over them and then they just sort of, you know, go back to life. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see sort of how those two interact, because I think the ones that are not doing the transformation in the process are going to have a much harder time integrating later, because it won't be back to the same normal that they're coming from. What are some of the tools? Because I think, you know, you see that a lot, I think, in students, for example, who go do you know, a semester abroad versus a year abroad. We were having this conversation the other day with my son because he was saying, oh, you know, I'd like to do a semester in Spain. And I said, you know what? If you do one semester, you're just starting to get your groove and get comfortable. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I mean, I remember it from, you know, way back when, when I did my year abroad, the students that left after a semester were just starting to sort of figure out I mean, Mm. they got a little bit of the language. They got a little bit of the culture. It was a fun, it was like an extended vacation. The people that Mm. stayed for the full year, they learned the language. They became part of the community. They integrated. Mm. A lot of them got jobs. We all had a very different experience because it took six months to get to that place where it was your new home. And then it became a different experience rather than I am a visitor here. It's I am part of this community. And I think we need to, in that same comfort space, there's also, when you get to that space, then you come back. So those who've done that six months, they come back from their vacation, you know, and then they go right back to school and they go right back into their routine. Whereas those who've done 
a full year or taken the time to integrate what that means when they come back. And I think there's the benefits in terms of, you know, finding that new home and getting that sense of home and integration. But it also means that when you come back, it's maybe not as familiar. What was home before is not as familiar. And you feel like an outsider, even after just a year. I even feel like my concept of home has changed as I've been an expat around the world because I've lived in London in the States and now in Amsterdam and then with big stints back in Sydney in between each of those. But I've now spent, I think, longer outside of my home country as an adult than as an adult in it. And I think what you're saying around, you know, that the time frame that it takes to actually feel like somewhere is home. I mean, I remember feeling like it took me at least six months before I could actually sort of say, oh, I'm going to go home now, meaning my home in London or my home in Amsterdam, which is, you know, for it, it actually to feel like even home. And then I really feel like it takes at least two years to actually feel part of the community, like longer than a year. I still have always felt like a newbie in a year, you know, and there's also a really interesting dynamic when you're living in a country as a non-native speaker in that Mm -hmm. country as well. And I feel it particularly here in the Netherlands is that there's a distinctive expat community, right? So I feel very much at home in the expat community but I feel I'll never be Dutch and I'll never truly, this will never truly be home because I can never truly be Dutch. I'm too Australian. (laughs) And so it's like this concept of home really kind of morphs and shifts as you have these expanded or extended kind of expat experiences around the world as well. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I can speak to that from the Swedish perspective. I mean, I spent 10 years there and I speak the language. I became a Swedish citizen, you know, married to a Swede. And yet I still don't get the humor. And so, you know, despite the fact that I can speak the language fluently, it's just like I didn't grow up with the same context of humor, of, you know, political humor. Like I didn't watch the same cartoons as a kid. And, And the same thing with my husband here. Now that we've repatriated to the U.S., where of course I'm on the we're on the West Coast, which is also not where I'm from. I'm orig- I grew up on the East Coast of the U.S., so it also feels like a foreign place. And yet here I have both the language and the cultural references are very similar in the U.S. from that which I grew up with. So I know the TV shows from my youth. I know you know the, I get the humor, and people get my humor. Yeah, and, and that was I think. One of the things that I struggled with, I mean, I spent practically 30 years living abroad. And the thing that I struggled with the most is that I felt like people never really knew me because they didn't get my humor. They didn't get sort of the subtle pieces of me that don't come across when you're speaking a non-native language, a non-mother tongue. Yeah. And so I felt sort of flat. Yeah. And there's this certain sort of comfortable familiarity that you have with the place that you grew up in, you know, as a, as a child, you know, because there's just this depth of knowledge. It's just, and you can only get that with time and the passing of time, you know, with time becoming history. 
And it's, you know, I, I get back to Australia. I, I spend a lot of time in Australia every year as well. And I get back to Australia, get back to the people who really have known me for, you know, my whole life. And you have this sense of belonging, you know, and it's that comfortable sense of familiarity and belonging. Like these are my people. Yeah. Well, and, and I love living here. I yeah. love living in Amsterdam. I really do. But I will. I know. I just know that I'll never feel that. You know. So I totally get it. And I think in in terms of the sort of integration and the the sort of the coming back piece, I've even found both for myself and with you know I've seen it in my kids as well that I gravitate. In, you know, as an American, I gravitate towards expats who live here. You know, I love mm-hmm. connecting with expats that live here, both, but also Americans who've had an expat experience. So yeah. I find that they get me even more like the Americans that have never traveled, like they don't get me. I'm just a weirdo. But yeah, the, the ones that have, and particularly the ones that have never lived abroad. I mean, it's one thing to travel and to see different countries and stay at resorts and it's all lovely and wonderful, but to really immerse yourself in a culture is a totally different experience. And. I find, I definitely find my comfort zone is with those other people that are comfortable outside of their comfort zone. And that tends to be expats. Yeah, a really interesting thing happened because I lived in London in my 20s and then returned to Sydney. And soon after returning to Sydney, all of, not all, but quite a few of my London friends then independently all moved to Sydney, either they were Australian and they were also moving back or they were from other countries and they were they chose to move to Sydney. And so it was like I had this little expat bubble in London and then that whole bubble just moved to Sydney. And so then my friend group just became my London bubble again with a few additions here and there. But then we would also just like attract other expats, you know, and so it just was this morphing group of people from all around the world. I felt the massive kind of cultural dissonance that I felt in returning was that people that hadn't travelled, like you said, didn't get my experiences and I guess I wasn't as emotionally aware back then or whatever and I couldn't understand why they wouldn't want to hear what I had been up to it was so important to me and I was like well if you're you know you you were my old friends back home and if you're not actually interested in what I've been doing for the last couple of years like it was really interesting to me to learn the hard way that nobody who somebody who hadn't ever traveled was never going to be interested in my travel stories (laughs) and that was like a a hard lesson (laughs) absolutely I, I think I wonder you know, in in your work, how does that fit? Is that something that you talk a lot about with your clients in helping them understand how to integrate and also seek out others that they can connect with when they repatriate or when they, or or, or when in a lot of cases, people move to a different country, they don't necessarily even repatriate. I found that many people, you know, they get they get a taste of it. And then they say, Oh, well, where where to next rather than I'm going home. So I mean, there's a variety of different experiences, right? But but let me sort of talk you through a a common trajectory, right? So essentially, you're on sabbatical, right? And most of the time, 
somebody's gone on sabbatical for a particular reason, right? They've become disenchanted with life for whatever reason. They could be close to burnout, just close to bore out, you know, just really lost touch or, or they just want a new adventure, whatever it is. Then over the course of the sabbatical adventure, they find themselves, I call it finding my mojo, right? They find their mojo again. And when you're in that sort of present state of living your sabbatical, so doing, traveling, do it, learning, doing whatever you're doing on your sabbatical, that's the time when your brain kind of opens up and really starts getting innovative and creative around, you know, what you want next and what you want for your future, right? And so the process that I then take people through is just trying to get really kind of connected with that sort of dream future state of what their ideal life is, is going to look like. And if once they're really, really excited about that, then we start making a plan for, okay, so remember your old life back there? It's going to feel really uncomfortable when you go back. But you're going to have to transition. You're going to have to give yourself a bit of a transition time to get from where you are now to where you want to be. And so in the process of getting someone really excited about their future, I found that that sort of helps to overcome a lot of these really dissonant feelings that they have around not being able to connect with the people that used to be there in their old friend circle or not really feeling like, you know, home feels like home anymore because actually what they've done is designed a better vision of their life. And so they're so excited about that that it kind of takes them through that discomfort, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so I find that the people that experience the, the discomfort the most are the people that are coming back feeling the discomfort, but they don't have a higher purpose. They don't have a higher vision to take them through it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. And so, you know, you, you know yourself, right? When If you're really like set on a path and you're like, yeah, I'm so excited. This is what I'm going to do now. And then, you know, if barriers kind of come in your way and difficult people, difficult conversations, difficult feelings, it's much easier to smash through them, right? Mm -hmm. But if there isn't that, if somebody doesn't come back from sabbatical with that higher vision, then that's when everything feels very difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's when everything feels very overpowering because there's nothing to help you kind of surf through it. Yeah, I, th I mean, it's a very valuable tool to have to be able to really vision. And is there a process that you use in your visioning? with your clients or is it is it done in more of a way where you just sort of lead them through sort yeah. of where do you want to be or do you use any visual tools or any yeah. you know disc or or any of those tools yeah. for helping people yeah. figure I've, out I've, what's I've next so many tools i've got so many tools yeah. I actually have a program that i take people through mm -hmm. and it's able to be flexed to suit the individual needs of that person but it essentially takes them through. So I sort of think about a sabbatical in four kind of psychological phases that we go through. So the first phase is really about disconnecting and really like disconnecting from the old self as much as the old life, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of 
labels that we put on ourselves, statuses that we hold close to our heart, things that we think are important, right? When we're caught up in, in our, in our original life. And it takes quite a while to unwind those, you know, to really unwind you know, you are not your job, you know, Mm -hmm. you are not, you know, this title, you are not this, whatever it is, that it is the label that you're putting on yourself, right? So it's that kind of unwinding. So that first phase is really just about getting back to self, right? So that's not the phase to be asking big questions. That's just about de-stressing. It's about, you know, getting rid of the labels and really getting back to centre, mm-hmm. right? So then you finally enter this middle phase of your sabbatical, which is all about living in the present moment. And so that's when, yeah, you're just enjoying the daily routine and the daily activities of your sabbatical. And what actually happens is your brain rests, right? And in the process of your brain actually resting, you're better able to make neural pathway connections that you hadn't actually made before. And so we're getting in a little bit of neuroscience mm-hmm. here. But Love it. Basically, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> basically, you're suddenly able to connect one region of your brain with another region of your brain and connect previously disconnected ideas or concepts together and that's when you start actually coming up with sort of innovations creativity new ideas about where you want to go and so this is the point that people become ready to ask the big questions right and so then I've got a process that I take people through which is you know let's look at the status of where you're at in your life. Like let's just get a snapshot of life as it was kind of before you went on sabbatical. Let's And how happy are you with that? And then a process of then taking them through, okay, so for each of these elements, what would good look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what does good look like in all of these elements, in, in relationships, in your, the, the place that you're living, you know, in your work? And there's a number of different tools. I mean, I love the Ikigai, which is all about finding your your life purpose. There's another great tool called the Wheel of Life. There's there's a bunch of different tools you can use for that. But it's essentially, where are you at and where do you want to be? Mm. Like that, that's really, you know, the process. And then we do the same thing with career because career is in and of itself, even though it's part of your life, it's quite an intricate little thing as well. And there you can go into personality tests, you know, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, Enneagram, and really look at what's driving you, what your strengths and weaknesses are, where you want to be, all that kind of stuff. But I think the most important phase of the sabbatical is then when you get to phase three, because phase three is, so phase two for me, I call the collection of epiphanies, right? You're just sort of collecting all these ideas. But phase three is when you really become ready to sort of act on them. You really become ready to go, that's what I want to do next. Mm. And, and it becomes clear, you know, you get this clarity. And so then I have this wonderful tool that is 100% mine. I developed it myself. I love it because I use it myself. It's called the Happy Life Tracker. 
And what it does is takes it's taking some concepts and combining them. So it's taking goal setting, but it is and but it's also taking habit formation and you know having healthy habits and sort of combining those together. Because I recognized in returning from my sabbaticals that there was no point in me just, you know, steaming forward with, you know, all of these goals for what I wanted to do next and what I wanted to achieve if I wasn't actually fundamentally able to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And so the Happy Life Tracker helps you do both. So you take all the big vision stuff, right? And then you create what I call your North Stars. So that's where am I, what direction am I I heading in? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's sometimes not even a destination. Maybe you don't know the destination and that's okay. But it's just like, are you heading east or are you heading west? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you've got to be able to make decisions in your life. And so the North Stars help you in guiding yourself towards those decisions. But recognising that you don't necessarily know all of the answers yet you just need to be able to set a course in the right direction so figuring out what the north stars are and then getting some kind of milestones in place and so that's the kind of okay what is the next big step like what am I gonna sort of work on in the next six months you know Mm -hmm. what's my transition plan but then at the same time okay what do I need to be doing on a daily and weekly basis just to keep myself centered just to keep this kind of sabbatical energy going in my life so I don't just lose all of this clarity I don't just lose all of this energy that I had on sabbatical and spiral into burnout again right Mm -hmm. and so then that's also using the the tricks of of neuroscience because you know you for your happy habits so meditating eating a healthy diet hydration, exercising, but then also, you know, gratitude journaling, you know, connecting with family, you know, those kinds of things that really fill up your body, the happy body and Mm -hmm. make for a happy mind, you know, learning and things, but then also make for a a happy soul, you know. And then you each week you tick them off and the process of actually ticking something off gives you a a hit of dopamine yep. like you, which keeps you going in the momentum of this new life that's the tool that really goes with that phase three and then the the final phase of a sabbatical is the transition you know like really coming back to life and so that that is literally all about that preparation what am I going to expect when I go back to work how am I going to keep myself happy and healthy you know and and how am I going to manage this transition and how am I going to keep this energy? How am I going to keep this motivation for what it is that I want next in my life? So, yeah, that's kind of the, the end-to-end journey. I yeah, guess. no, I love it. And I think, it, you know, each step is so critical in its own right. And, and that's a, it's really a beautiful thing. And as you're talking about it, it reminds me of sort of that classic you know, you know, it's the right amount when, you know, like when you go on a vacation and when you start to miss home and you're like, I'm ready to go back. Okay. I've, you know, I've gotten the, enough of a break. This is good. Yeah, and and to really build that sense of, you know, sort of recognizing those signals within your body and your mind of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm processing this right. And 
I love the yeah, fact I'm that you've decided some tools return. around it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? The, I could continue talking to you for hours, but unfortunately, our time is up. But it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. And I want to make sure folks can find you if they want to learn a little bit more or work with you. What's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, so check out my website. So that's beyondabreak.com. And also just feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me with Lyndall Farley. And yeah, I love connecting with people. So don't be shy in connecting with me on LinkedIn. And I produce and post a lot of content on LinkedIn too. So follow me there or just get in touch. You know, all of my details and everything is on the website. Yeah, great. Well, and we've got all those, the details on the show notes. So uh, folks, if you're out there driving, don't worry about trying to write that down. You can capture that off of the show notes. And uh, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you, Lyndall. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And if you really like the show, we always appreciate a little love of a rating and a review. And don't forget to let us know so we can send you a little love back and a thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today, Lindell, and look forward till next time. Bye-bye for now.